0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. As we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We know that the words of man are a waste of time, but the word of God transforms lives. So give us ears to hear. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, Hebrews, as we know, if you've been coming, I know there's a lot of new people here, so I'll take a few minutes. So Hebrews was written to the first century church, and largely there were, uh, the first century church were Jews who had recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, and they had become Christians. Now, the old covenant was created by Almighty God, but it was always pointing to Jesus. And once Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn, the sacrifices ceased, and again, the old covenant was a picture of Christ. It was a foreshadowing of him. But when Jesus came, we don't, thought, we don't chase after the shadow. We have the, him in, his, in person. Amen. Now, the book was written to the Jews largely because the first century church, a lot of them were being tempted to go back to Judaism. You can imagine because at that time, the temple was still uh, around. It would, it would come down some a few years later. But they were gathering together at the temple every Sabbath. The horns were blowing. The high priests were still there. And there were those who had become Christians. And Christians were being persecuted, being fed to lions. And so Christians were being persecuted. And so they had their Jewish families who had not converted and friends trying to draw them back to where they were in Judaism. And then they had uh, the world attacking them for their faith. And many times they would say, well, we have a temple. You don't. We have a high priest. You don't. And so this entire book has been talking about the fact that Jesus is better. It talks about the supremacy of Christ. In the beginning, it talks about Jesus being better than Moses. To the Jews, Moses was the writer of the law. Mighty man, used mightily by God. Praise God for Moses. Jesus, way better. Can I get an amen? Amen. Then we have the, the prophets. Jesus is better than the prophets. The angels. Jesus is better than the angels. The high priest. Jesus is the great high priest. And so as we've gone through the book of Hebrews, it just keeps, it seems repetitive, and it is, but you know what? We need to hear it again and again. By the way, you can't say Jesus is better enough, amen? And so this morning, as we come to chapter 10, if you have your outline, grab it. I tiled the message this morning, don't pull back, press in. Don't pull back, press in. See, here's what was happening in those days. There were those being tempted to pull back to pull away from their relationship with the Lord and to go back to what was comfortable and what was safe. A lot of times it's probably not happening today that anybody's, well, maybe a few are being tempted to go back to the temple, to go back to Judaism. But there are those of us who may have been raised a certain way and we're still being drawn back to that which was comfortable to us. That's what that which we've done. Maybe may it be a Catholicism or maybe be some other organization that you felt led to go back to because that's how you were raised. And let me say this. There are people within the Catholic Church that are saved. But you know what? If you're new here, I'm going to step on your toes a few times today. So get used to it. Can I get an amen? The Catholic Church itself is anathema and they need to repent. Amen. Because when you add to the cross of Calvary, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And when you say, oh, Jesus plus, you must be, have your first Holy Communion. You must be confirmed in our church. You must have last rites when you die. That's rejecting what Jesus said on the cross when he said it is finished, which means paid in full. So this morning, we're gonna look at some real practical things for us as believers. How do we respond to the truth of the gospel? To the fact that Jesus is better. Number one, don't pull back, press in. Look what it says here. First, first part we're going to see, there's an exhortation to press into the kingdom of God. First, enter the true source of rest. Is there unrest in the world today? What's the answer? Just watch the news. I don't call it the news. I just call it the bad news because there's never any good news. Let's turn the bad news on, right? But here's the good news. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're forgiven. We're born again. We're going to heaven. We're new creations in Christ. He's on the throne. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. He's always in control. Amen. And we can trust that. So we need to enter into his rest. And the way we do that is we recognize that we have been forgiven. And you know what? As we enter into his rest, it sets us apart to serve him. So first thing is, we're going to see if the two points today is don't pull back, press in first by entering in to the true rest that we have in in Him, and then secondly, into the intimate fellowship with the Lord. We're going to see three blessings that come through the cross. Obviously, there's thousands of blessings that come through the cross. But we're going to see in the three in the context this morning. Number one, in addition to salvation, redemption, and forgiveness, we can enter into God's presence anywhere and any time. I know we've been talking about this, but you know, prior to Jesus dying on the cross, we've talked about this repeatedly, but it bears repeating. There's new people here. There was a barrier. And there was a veil and only the high priest on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur, only he could enter into the Holy of Holies. Only he could enter beyond that veil into the presence of Almighty God. And everybody else stood outside and wondered what it was like to be in the presence of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn and you and I can enter into his presence anywhere and any time. And we should never take that for granted. Amen. There should never be a day that goes by that we just walk by and don't spend time in his presence. So praise God that we can be in the presence of God and we can go boldly before him. Again, there's no barriers between us and God. And, and then thirdly there, that we have a great high priest. What is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for us. When you're tempted, remember he's praying for you. When you're going through great trials, remember he's praying for you. When, you're going, when you have heartache, when you've got you know, wayward children, When things are difficult at work, when you're struggling in your finances, when you've been diagnosed with cancer, whatever it is, remember that almighty God, the creator of the universe, the alpha and the omega is interceding on your behalf. Amen. Amen. We serve a risen living savior. Then five ways for us to respond. Now, again, we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast, but works are fruit of salvation, not the sort of source of salvation. And these things should be evident in the life of a believer when we grow. Number one, draw near. We've been cleansed both on the inside and the outside. So we should draw near to God. You are as close to God as you want to be. If you're far away from God, it's not God's fault. Amen? Amen. The veil's been torn. You can enter his presence anywhere and anytime. The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food that we're to pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God. See, if we're, if we're walking in intimate fellowship with God, it changes everything else. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Is Jesus the priority and passion of your life? Someone asked the question on a Thursday night recently, how do you know if you're you know, fully surrendered to the Lord? And I think that we can't, can't all, any of us could say we're always fully surrendered. But here's what I would say. When you wake up in the morning, are you more focused on your will or his? When you wake up in the morning, are you more focused on what's happening in your day or spending some time in prayer with the Lord? When you go out throughout your day, are you looking for opportunities for God to be glorified? Are you looking for opportunities just for yourself? You know, what's the focus and the passion of your life? Is it about you or is it about him? And guys, if we're, if we're totally sold out for God, it's going to be about him a lot more than it's about us. Can I get an amen to that? Okay. So draw near to God. Number, number two, hold fast to the Lord and his promises, clinging to the Lord, not running from him, not tossed to and fro by every window of doctrine or moved by difficult circumstances of life. Now, people have said that the church has been impacted by COVID. I don't think the church was impacted. The church, is, church was revealed. Yeah. Because God is still on the throne and nothing has changed and God's not surprised. And we find out where people are with the Lord when they're more afraid of even an ailment. Look, we should not be afraid to die. Amen? Amen. So, if we're afraid to go to church, if we're afraid to to stand up for the, our faith, if we're walking in fear, that's the opposite of faith. Now, again, there are reasons why certain people have certain ailments, and you stay home, and I get it, and God bless you. But you know what? For most of us, you go to the grocery store, you can come to church. Amen. Amen. I ran into somebody who hasn't been to church in a long time the other day coming out of the movie theater. I'm like, okay. What's up? Oh. Hold fast. Can I get an amen? Consider one another. See, as we walk with the Lord, you know what's gonna happen? You know, you've heard my definition of joy. It's not original with me, but Jesus others yourself. And the way we have joy is we put Jesus first, others second, ourselves last. Problem is we, most of us have yoj, amen? Because we put our focus on ourselves. We wake up in the morning, thinking about ourselves, my three favorite people, me, myself, and I. How does this impact me? Amen? And we have this mentality, but the reality is as we respond to the grace of God, we should be considering one another and we should have a heart to serve each other. Number four, stay in fellowship with God's people. I've quoted it 300 times during COVID, and we're going to see it in the text today. Forsake not the gathering yourselves together and all the more as the day approaches. Amen. So we're not to forsake being in fellowship. There's something special that happens when God's people come together to worship, when God's people come together to study his word, when God's people come together to observe the Lord's Supper. When God's people come together to pray, when God's people come together to have a meal together, guys, there's, something that can't, there's nothing that can substitute that. You've heard my analogy. Uh, you know, Watching church from home, is like watching a fire on TV as opposed to having a fire in the fireplace, amen? It's still, you can still see it, but there's no heat, amen? And so as believers, we need to be in fellowship and all the more as the day approaches. The church I pastored in Santa Cruz, we got to the point where we had church seven nights a week. And we had people saying, why are you doing that? That's just too much. And I'm like, what are you going to do instead? And you don't have to come every night, amen? But I remember being a kid and going to Calvary Costa Mesa. We'd be sitting, eating dinner with my parents, and my dad would say, hey, after dinner, we're going to church. What's happening Costa Mesa? He goes, I don't know, something. <laughs> And they had church every night. You go and Greg Laurie was teaching, or you go and there's a Christian concert, or they're showing a the Christian movie. But you know what? It's good to be in fellowship. And again, we desire the word of God more than our necessary food. And I know every one of you eats more than once a week. Amen? So we need to be in fellowship. We need to be in the word. And then finally, exhort one another. And that's where we strengthen one another, speak into each other's lives. We all need people who love us enough to speak into our lives. So let's begin there looking at don't pull back, press in an exhortation to press into the kingdom of God. Beginning there, verse 11, looking into the true source of rest. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never, what does it say? So those sacrifices they were doing for thousands of years. Now they were being obedient to the Lord. And it was the covering of sin pointing to the one who would take away sin. But as we saw in a few chapters back, the blood of bulls and goats cannot redeem you. Now, when they were making all those sacrifices, they were learning the high price of sin. When they saw all the shed blood that took place, it was a daily reminder of that my sin comes, the covering of my sin comes at a high price. It was a constant reminder as they would come daily and weekly and as they had different feasts throughout the year and different sacrifices that they made. But that was never meant to be the solution. It was always the foreshadow of the solution. It was always pointing to Jesus. Remember when Jesus' ministry began? John the Baptist saw him when Jesus came to be baptized and he said, behold, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. See, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away the sins of the world. Only Jesus can. It was always pointing to Jesus. Praise God for the old covenant. It was an act of faith and obedience prior to Jesus coming. But once Jesus came, as we saw last week, it has been made obsolete. The writer contrasts yet again the old covenant high priest with Jesus, our great high priest. Again, the blood of bulls and goats The high priests of the day, their sacrifices could never take away sins. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ on the cross once and for all. It says in the previous, in verse 10, it says at the end of verse 10, they're once for all, not once for some. You know, Jesus desires that none should perish, no, not one. Bible says, amen. Praise God for that. Not many times for all, one time for all. It wasn't many sacrifices for all people. It wasn't one sacrifice for some people. It was one sacrifice for all people. Salvation is offered universally. It must be accepted individually. So it's offered repeatedly. It speaks of their ineffectiveness because again and again, they were making these sacrifices. And the fact that they had to go make another sacrifice showed that the last one didn't get the job done. Amen? If one sacrifice had paid the price once and for all, they could have stopped. But for thousands of years, they kept making, and it was in obedience to the Lord, and they were honoring God, and they were doing the right thing. It was always pointing to the Lord, and he fulfilled it. You know, what's interesting. We talked about this a few weeks back. When you go into the temple or the tabernacle, when they're wandering in the wilderness, where it had God's presence, the one one piece of furniture that was never in the temple or the tabernacle is a chair, because the priest never sat down. Because the work was never done. Jesus is doing what at the right hand of the Father? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You know why? The work's done. Amen? It's been paid in full. So the old covenant priest was always, it was work, work, work. And what do the cults do today? Work, work, work. What do they do? They make Jesus less and man more. And you have to earn heaven. You have to keep doing good works. And you got to hope so. I hope I can do enough good works that I can get into heaven one day. Christianity is not a hope, so it's a no so, and we don't do. It's, we're not saved by works. Works are fruit of salvation, but the only work that matters is the work that Jesus did on the cross of Calvary, and the price has been paid in full. Verse twelve it says, "But this man, after he had offered sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand." of God. Now remember, there are those being drawn back to go to Judaism and where's your high priest and we're making sacrifices. What about you? And the response is, but this man, who are we talking about? The M in your Bible, if you have a good Bible, should be capitalized because it's deity. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever. Now it's for sins of all mankind forever, but it's for the sins in your life forever. And what does the enemy love to do? Condemn you about your life. Anybody ever get condemned by the enemy because you blew it? Amen? We get convicted by the Lord that we need to repent, but the enemy loves to remind you. It's even better when you're a pastor, by the way. Okay, pastor. Way to yell at that guy. You know, are you, you know what I mean? The enemy. So condemnation doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy. Right? conviction comes from the Lord to draw us back into salvation. Condem- condemnation comes from the enemy to draw us away from the Lord and make us feel unworthy. Well, let me make it clear to all of us. We're all unworthy, but he's worthy. And he's the only one that matters. Jesus came and laid down his life. He paid the atoning sacrifice once and for all. He entered into his rest. And each of us, as we enter into the new covenant through him, we enter into his rest. It's no longer do this, do. It's no longer do, do, do. It's done. And it should bring peace to every one of our lives. The old covenant, there was never any rest, but we, had, we have entered into his rest. Why would anybody want to go back? Why would anybody want to leave the place of comfort and rest and knowing that all our sins are forgiven and run back to a system where you have to try to you know, make sacrifices or with some churches today, do enough good works to earn heaven? Most of you know, we met in a synagogue for almost a year. I got to know the rabbi very well. And when we would have lunch together, it would just baffle me. Like, what do you think happens when you die? Oh, we just think this is the life. What? Why why do you guys meet? I don't get it. Well, you know, some of us believe in reincarnation. Some of us just believe this is the life. Some of us believe. I said, I don't get it, bro. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't understand that. That makes absolutely no sense to me. So you're gathering together for what? He goes, basically for our culture and our heritage. Let me give you part of your culture. Jesus. Let me give you part of your heritage. Jesus. Let me give you another part of your culture. The Bible. Amen. Yeah. This is a Jewish book written by Jewish believers for the most part. Amen. And this book right here, Hebrews is written by a Jew to the Jews telling them to quit being Jews. Amen. Because the Bible says we are neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian or scythian, we're all one in Christ. We're either saved or we're not. We're either saints or we're ain't. amen? We're either born again or we're not. And you know, our heritage, that's fine if you want to check that out. But you know what? Yeah, I'm Scottish and I'm American Indian or whatever. Who cares? I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Why would you go back? The source of rest is found nowhere else. I don't care how much money you have. You're not going to be at rest. I don't care how, you know, how much power you have. I don't care how much recognition you have. There's no rest and there's no peace apart from the prince of peace. Verse 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Jesus is waiting and resting until the day of rebellion when the enemy comes, of the enemy comes to an end and it will end soon. It says in Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. See, those who mock God now, I got into a discussion this week on uh, a Facebook thing, and the guy was just mocking God and saying, anybody who believes the Bible's an idiot. And, you know, and I love that. And I, my response is always, so, so when you read the Bible from cover to cover, what was the main theme that you found from the <laughs> word of God? And the response is, well, I haven't really read it. So you're an authority on something you've never read, but I'm an idiot. <laughs> Amen. And then they pull the science card always. Well, I'm a sci- I'm, I believe in science. So do I. Our, our God's omniscience. Amen. Don't let them try to make you think that science and the word of God or science and almighty God are somehow in opposition. There are scientists who are claiming to be wise and become as fools, the Bible says. But if you believe in evolution and you think that's science, you've lost your mind. Because the the second law of thermodynamics, the law of biogenesis, the law of entropy would all tell you things don't go from disorder to order. And non-living matter never creates living matter. That wipes out evolution. And you believe that and you say you're a scientist. Guess what? My God's omniscience and he created everything. Amen. Amen. So let's know what we believe and why we believe it. Amen. And we don't have to be afraid to stand up for the truth. But I'll tell you what prepares you more. Reading the book and not waiting for the movie. Amen? <laughs> amen. Chosen's pretty good, though. Can I get an amen to that? Good stuff. If you're not watching that, watch it. But here's the point. Read your Bible. Be in the word. Be prepared. There's a time coming when Christians facing persecution from their enemies. And we're starting to see it now. God is being mocked all around us. Now, let's be loving. Let's be kind. Let's be gracious. But let's be bold. You can do both. You can be bold and be kind and loving at the same time. Verse 14. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. By one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Now, sanctification, we've talked about this. So we're justified the moment we get saved, just as if we never sinned, right? We're justified. But now we're being sanctified until the day we're glorified. The word sanctify means to be set apart. We're being set apart more and more unto the Lord. We're being more, molded more and more into the image of God. We will never be glorified until we get to heaven. So this is, you know, we're born again, we're saved. That work is finished. It's paid in full. And God continues to do a work in us and do a work through us, molding us more into the image of our Savior. But it says there, he uses that word for those who are being sanctified. So it's an ongoing process. We should be growing in the Lord. Here's my prayer. my prayer. Here's my prayer every day. It's my prayer every New Year's. It's my prayer every birthday. Lord, help me to be more in love with you this year than I was last year. Help me to know you better this year than I knew you last year. Help me, Lord, to have a greater passion for you this year than I had last year. Help me to be a more faithful servant this year than I did last year. And I pray that daily. Help me, Lord, to serve you more today than I did yesterday. And that should be our heart, I would hope. You know, the cross perfected, it completed it. There's no more need for sacrifice, no more good works, no more religious rituals. It's done. We can rest as we have been made perfect in him. Look at verse 15. I love this. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, I will write them. He's quoting from Jeremiah and the covenant opens spokenly here in the New Testament. The new covenant is the substance of the old covenant shadow, but the Holy Spirit is a witness to us. You know, one of the greatest signs that we've truly been saved uh, is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Amen. Ephesians chapter one talks about the Holy Spirit being a down payment on heaven. So it's like ownership papers. So when you give your life, the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, when you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. The moment you, now God knows the sincerity of your heart. No man does. Just speaking words won't save you, but it's repentance. I'm walking this way. I turn this way. I surrender my life fully to the Lord. And when I do that, the Holy Spirit goes from with me, the world calls in their conscience to end me and they will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You're going to heaven. Amen. So he goes from with you to in you. Bible also talks about the Holy Spirit being upon you. It says he breathed the spirit into them in Luke, but then he told them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit shall come upon you in the book of Acts. And you shall receive what? Power. The word there in the original language, someone, come on, what is it? Dunamis. Someone's paying attention. Amen. The word dunamis there is dynamic or dynamite, and it's powerful. When the Holy Spirit goes from being with you to in you, you're saved. And when he goes from being in you to upon you, you're much more effective for the kingdom of God. Spirit-filled. I've said it many times. My dad used to say, spirit-filled, baptized in the Spirit, and dwelt with the Holy Spirit. He said, call whatever you want to just get it. Amen? And it literally just means less of me and more of him. If I'm filled with the Spirit, there has to be less of me and more of him. And the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He convicts you of sin. He comforts you. And the Holy Spirit will also direct you to do things that aren't necessarily written in the Bible. He will never contradict the word of God. Amen. People give me that. Well, the Spirit told me to date this unbeliever. No, he didn't. <laughs> I had a discussion this morning with an assistant pastor that he said the Holy Spirit told him it was okay to smoke pot. No, he didn't. <laughs> well, it grows right up out of the ground. God said everything was good. I said, God said it was good before they sinned in the garden. And then it wasn't good. Amen? Right. Don't take the text out of context. I got left to con. Amen? <laughs> so, so, well, the Holy Spirit told me. Well, the Lord told me. Be careful with that. And we'll find out if you're a liar if you disagree with the word of God. Amen. Amen. That being said, there's not a doubt in my mind. I knew after my second date with my wife that the Lord said, that's your wife. That's your wife. You're going to spend the rest of your life with her. Now, there's not a Bible verse that says Dave will marry Lynette. It's not in the Bible, (laughs) but the Holy Spirit wrote it on my heart. This is the woman I created for you. You're going to spend the rest of your life with her. She had a date with another guy after our first date and she told him, I can't date you. I'm the guy going out with last night. I'm marrying him. So get to stepping. Praise God. Amen. 37 years later. But there are things where the Holy Spirit will, will convict you of things. And this is where it becomes legalism, where a personal Holy Spirit conviction, you make a requirement for everyone else's salvation. I have people that are convicted they shouldn't own a television. I don't necessarily think that's a bad idea. I get it. I do like sports. I got a TV. But, and I think that's, I think you should obey that conviction. Amen. But when you say, "Oh, you have a TV; you're going to hell," that's a problem. Yes. Amen. Yes. I have a conviction: my kids should go to Christian school. That was my conviction. But other people have a conviction they want their kids in public school to be salt and light. Other people have a conviction to homeschool their kids. See, we we want to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He will never contradict the Word of God, and we need to make sure we don't take make that conviction a, re- a requirement for everyone else's salvation. That's when it becomes legalism. Does that make sense? Yeah. So praise God for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Praise God that he's a down payment on heaven. Praise God that he puts the law of God into our hearts. I don't even have to think about... When the guy said, well, yeah, you know, I just have a conviction that smoking pot's okay. Bro, stop. 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 <laughs> Please stop. He used to go to the church I pastored, so I'm, I felt even more convicted. Like, did I not teach this guy? But here's the reality. I'm like, dude, really? He was upset that the fastest runner... Of the United States got disqualified because she smoked pot and he thinks it's unfair. And I'm like, the way the transgressor's hard. Obey the law. Can I get an amen? amen. So this is the covenant I will make with them after those days. And again, he's quoting Jeremiah that this is the covenant that we have. No longer under the old covenant, we're under the new covenant. The new covenant is Jesus Christ paid it all. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. He comforts us and convicts us. He's given us the completed word of God. We're the most accountable of all people because we have the the completed revelation, the whole counsel of God. I will put my laws into their hearts. And it speaks of that inner inner transformation. I've had this conversation a lot in the last couple of weeks where people struggle as to whether or not they're saved because they still sin. And here's my response always. How do you feel when you sin? I hate it. That's a good sign that you've been saved, amen? Amen. Because if you don't know the Lord, you run to sin. And when you come to know the Lord, you're brokenhearted by it. Amen. And you hate your sin. And you're grieved by it. And it breaks your heart. And now just so the people that have sinned recently don't feel like that. Who sinned this last week? Okay. Hands on up, you're prideful and sinning right now. But here's our Now again, as Christians, we're not sinless, but we should sin less. Amen. Because as we walk with the Lord, we, we, we are grieved by our sin. And again, we don't run toward it. We want to run from it, and we're convicted by it. By the way, uh, sin is not forbidden because it's bad. It's bad because it's forbidden. Amen? Okay, see, God, it's not, sin isn't bad just because God said you can't do it. Sin is bad because God knows it will harm you. Amen? Amen? See, he forbids sin because he knows that it will bring, it will, it will bring uh, trouble to your life. The word of God and the law of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. Amen? <laughs> Amen? And too often we think, oh, the Bible won't let me go do that. It won't let you drive off a cliff and die. Amen? It's not keeping you from fun, it's keeping you from harm. Though sin is pleasurable for a season, in the end it leads to death. God forbids sin because he loves you and he knows what's best for you. Amen? Amen. Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he disciplines us because we need it. Because we're playing on the freeway and he knows we stay out there too long we're going to get hit by a bus. Get back here. He convicts us. He disciplines us. If my kid was playing on the freeway, I would get him off there if I had to jerk his arm out of the socket. Amen? And God, I've had my arm jerked out of the socket by the Lord a few times. Amen? Because we're going in the wrong, and he loves us enough to bring conviction and to draw us back unto himself. By his grace, our sins are remembered no more. Look at verse 17. It says, their sins are their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I've had the same Bible since 1991, and on here, I have, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you. I think every time I read it, I write, thank you, Lord, next to it. Our sins are remembered no more. You know that God can't forget, but he can choose not to remember. Amen? And the Bible says he separates your sin as far as the east is from the west. We talked about the scapegoat. They send it out. It travels from the east to the west. And they, you know, they, keep, and they, they confess their sins and carry their sins away. And it was a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. Our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. And he doesn't remember them. So when you come to the Lord and say, you remember eight years ago when I... No. I've chosen to, for, to, to not remember that. So when someone reminds you of it, that's not the Lord, that's the enemy. Amen? Amen. So remember, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're a new creation in Christ. It's not who you were, it's who you are. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. And the enemy wants to judge you on who you were, but we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ and we're new creations. We're born again. That's the picture of the the baptism, death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior. The fact that we're dead to ourselves and we're alive in Christ, guys, that we should never, ever allow ourselves to fall for the condemnation of the enemy. Be reminded daily their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. Thank you, Jesus. So blessed. What a loving God we serve. You know, sometimes I read verses on grace and I just start weeping because I know I'm not worthy of it. But aren't you so glad that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us? He didn't die for the rich. He didn't die for the powerful. He didn't die for the, the, the perfect. There are none. He died for sinners like us. What a gracious God we serve. His incredible grace, our sins are remembered no more. The new covenant does more than just temporary cover sin or just put it forward to the coming year. It offers complete forgiveness and he remembers it no more. As Christians, we must learn to do with our sin exactly what the Lord does, leave it behind. As Christians, by the way, we're not on probation as Christians. You're not on probation. You're not gonna get kicked out of Christianity if you mess up. Amen? Amen? Now, the company I work for, long, I've been there 33 years, but they have this thing called New Rep Tracking. And what happens is, I had left the company for a while and then I came back and I had to go back on New Rep Tracking. And every three months, they pull up your numbers and if you, if you meet the standard, you get to keep working. And if you don't, you're fired. So for the first year, every three months, you'd see these people, do I still have a job? And... There are, there are Christians that feel that way. We, I gave my life to Jesus, but I blew it, so I'm sure God's done with me. No, he's not. When your kids mess up, you stop being their parents. You stop loving them. If anything, you reach out to them even more, don't you? you put your arm around and you comfort them, you love Him. There's no new rep tracking for Christians. Past sin is forgiven. Remember no more. It's paid in full. Why go back? where you're still trying to earn it? Why go back where you're still having to make sacrifices every day? Why go back to the shadow of what was coming when Jesus is the answer? Now, verse 18 is a verse that people use to try to make you think you can lose your salvation because they take it out of context. This is why teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book through the Bible makes sure we understand what we're reading. And I'm not saying topical studies are bad, but they're difficult because if you, if you have five different verses, you better have all five of them in the right context. Because as I said before, you take a text out of context, like you left a con. And you can make the Bible say anything you want if you take verses out of context. So let's read verse 18. Now, where there is a mission of, of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. And there's a people who said, oh, where, where you have fallen short, then that offering for your sin doesn't count anymore. That is so far from what this verse means, but I've had people bring that to me. Look, Pastor Dave, here's what it says. You don't know for sure you're going to heaven. You say that all the time. Look, if you blow it, then there's no more forgiveness for your sins. Let me, okay. We're talking about the old covenant and the new covenant. And here's what that verse means. Now where there is, in the word for remission, there is forgiveness. Where there's forgiveness... There is no longer an offering for sin because we've been forgiven. We no longer need to make offerings for sin because Jesus paid it all and he paid it in full and it is finished and it is done. Amen? Amen. Do you understand that verse now? Let me read that to you again, because this is so misinterpreted. I have so many people that come to me scared half to death. Look what it says here. If there's remission and they make remission, them failing. If there's been remission of these, there's no longer an offering. I, oh, I'm not saved anymore. That's so far from the verse. Again, the word remission literally means forgiven. The blood of Jesus has and was, it put all of our sin away, past, present, and future. And there's no need ever again to have sacrifice for sin. There's no more sacrifices needed ever. You know, it's really tragic. You have people today of, you know, in cults and weird religions where they harm themselves to prove their love for God. You'll see people putting needles through their arms or cutting themselves or crawling on their knees on glass or whatever to prove their devotion to God. And here's the reality. We don't need to suffer so we can be saved. He suffered so that we are saved. Paid in full. Don't lose sight of it. So where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering. We don't we don't need to offer for sin anymore because it's been paid in full. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes. We grasping that. Write that because it's going to come up in your life. I promise. Write it in your Bible. Forgiveness and we don't need offering. We don't need to make uh, sacrifices anymore because Jesus already did, and it's paid in full. Amen? Amen. We all got that. And again, I promise you, it's coming someone's going to bring that verse to you. Well, well, see, well, there's been remission and they misinterpret remission and they change the... This whole thing is about the fact that we don't need to make sacrifices anymore. Isn't that the whole point, one of the big points of the book of Hebrews? And yet they'll try to say, well, see, now the sacrifice is no good because you blew it. But when we read the whole counsel of God and when we read just even the verses in this chapter, Jesus forgave us and he remembers our sins no more. Amen? So point number one, don't pull back, press in, into the true, true source of our rest and into more intimate fellowship with the Lord. Let's begin there in verse 19. We're going to see that in verse 19, is my watch wrong? Is it, is, it, is, it almost, is it right at 11 right now? Yes. Okay. I thought my watch stopped. I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting through it. Praise God. Amen. All right. Verse nine, cause I thought that's 1120. No. And we are going to teach the Bible for an hour. We do that around here. So if you're new and you're looking at your watch, like, when's this guy going to stop? 11.30. Amen? All right. Verse 19. You, You went and saw a movie for two and a half hours. Don't talk to me about it. You can't have an hour of church. Verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Now that we've entered into his rest, Here's three of the blessings of the many blessings that come through the cross. We have boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ has given us access to what would be referred to in the temple as the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelt. Remember when the tabernacle wandered in the wilderness, it was a pillar of fire and a, and a pillar of cloud, and it would, it would hover above the Holy of Holies. And when they would wake up each morning out in the wilderness, they would look up to see if the cloud had moved or the fire had moved, fire by an out cloud during the day. And if it would move, they would put everything back together. They'd tear down the tabernacle and they would go to wherever the Lord was. I love that. I use that in my own life. The first thing we had to do every morning is look up and see where Jesus is and then go there. Can I get an amen? So that's the presence of God. But it says here in this verse, because of the blood of Christ, we have boldness to enter the holiest place. Because of what Jesus did, we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Now, not arrogantly, not self-righteously, but we can come boldly into God's presence. There's no stop sign between you and God. There's no walls, there's no barriers. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you're born again, you could enter into his presence anywhere, any time. And how shameful is it that we might go days or even weeks without doing it? Amen. About three people said amen to that. Amen. How much time you spent, Lord, yesterday. How much time you spent his presence the day before. If you're too busy for God, you need to quit something else because God's more important than whatever else you're doing. Do your job as unto the Lord. Honor God. He'll provide for your family, but don't allow your job to become more important than the Lord. Amen. Do your job as unto the Lord, but don't make it more important than the Lord. Don't allow your hobbies to be important, more important than the Lord. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Into the very presence of Almighty God, not just the model where the high priest entered once a year, where only one man once a year could enter in. Now all who've given their life to the Lord can enter into the presence of Almighty God. And we can commune with him. I mean, Some of the best times I've ever had in my life with the Lord are when I'm most desperate. Can anybody relate to that? Amen. You know, when you're humble, broken, and desperate, when you can't fix it on your own, you know, when you've got a son who's overdosed or you, you know, you've gone through difficulty like that and you can't fix it, I find myself face down on the carpet and just crying out to God. And I know that when I cry out to him, he hears me. And when you cry out to the Lord, he hears you every single time. Now, he doesn't always answer the way you want him to. And sometimes he says no. But he's not keeping you out of Disneyland. He's keeping you from driving off the cliff. Amen? God says no because he's sovereign. He knows what's best for you. God is faithful. You and I, by the blood of Jesus, have direct access, not to the model, but to the heavenly father. Right now, through prayer, and one day soon, you know, we're going to stand before him. You ever think about that? We talk about Jesus is better. Heaven's better. Heaven's way better. And no matter how great you think heaven is, it's greater than that. And when you get there, you're going to be blown away. And I often imagine standing before the Lord. I kind of like to live my life backwards, at least once above the star. So I'll think about standing before him and looking back on my life saying, Oh Lord, I wish I'd done more knowing how great you are. It'll be too late then, but it's not too late now. Amen? And may we live every day in recognition that no matter how great you think God is, he's greater than that. And I promise you, when you get to heaven and see the greatness and behold the glory of God, you're going to wish you had prayed more, witnessed more, and lived more out loud for him. Amen? You're not going to wish you'd worked more. I've been more involved with your hobby. Those things are, hey, we work. We do our job as unto the Lord. Amen? A man who doesn't work, a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. Okay, so we work and we work hard. You'll toil by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life, but it's not the priority of our life. Jesus is. Do your job as unto the Lord. You know what the best four hundred one k ever is? Heaven. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I've got six million dollars in my four hundred one k. I got eternal life with the Creator of the universe. That's what I got. Amen. <laughs> He's building me a house on Hallelujah Avenue right now. Amen. <laughs> and we're going to heaven. And we're going to close our eyes on earth and we're going to open them up in glory. Oh, Lord, it's so good, isn't it? Boldness not in our good works. It's not because we're good that we can enter in with boldness. It's because he's good that we can enter in with boldness. It's because what Jesus did that we can enter in with boldness. Never, you know, don't be self-righteous. That's nauseating. That's Pharisees. Amen? Well, I've been walking with Jesus like 47 years and he's just blessed to have me on his team. No. <laughs> Amen? I meet people and they find I'm a pastor. They love to give me their list of everything they've ever done for the Lord in their lives. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. Has he done anything for you? Well, <laughs> oh, yeah, he died on the cross. Okay. So why don't we, why don't we, why don't we leave with that? Amen? Because that's the priority and that's what really matters. Blood of animals who walk in fear and trembling with the blood of Jesus, you can come in with boldness. See, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, he was afraid. You know, people have question whether this is true or not. But there's historical writings that they would tie a rope around either his waist or his foot when he would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement because if he died in there, they couldn't couldn't get him out. And he had bells on the bottom of his garment so they could hear him moving around in there so they knew he was still in there. And they'd wait for him to come out. So he would go in there, you know, am I really worthy to do this? And he'd be scared and he'd have to make a sacrifice for himself. And then, you know, and guys, we don't have to come before the Lord like this. We come with boldness because of the shed blood of Jesus has paid the price for us. Verse 20, number two point here, a living way through the veil says by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us. Through the veil, that is his flesh. Not only can we approach with boldness, but there's no longer a barrier, no longer anything hindering us from access with the Lord. Uh, the veil, again, is thing that's separated from the Holy of Holies. And now the veil has been removed. It was torn from top to bottom. I love that, by the way. You know, the veil was a big deal. It wasn't just a little drape. It had to be hung by, you know, dozens of men and it was, you know, 60 feet tall and super thick. And it was this thing that, and so it was very hard to even move around. And then it got torn from top to bottom because the Lord reached down, the father reached down when Jesus died on the cross and he just tore it. Come on in. You're all welcome now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You know, Jesus' body was torn, so was the veil. And through Jesus' death and sacrifice on our behalf, we have access to the Father, access to complete and direct intimacy with Almighty God. Why would you go back to anything else? What we have is so much better. So three things to the cross: Boldness to enter the Holy of Holies. A living way through the veil, a high priest. Look what it says there in verse 21. And having a high priest over... The house of God. See, one of the things that would be would be mocked by these Christians, by the Jews who were still hanging out in the temple. Well, we have a high priest, and they still have all the garments, and they still wear the you know the breastplates, and you know they still wear all the elements. Where's your high priest? You know, we still have we still have the holy of holies. Where? Where? How do you enter in? So all these things were things that they were being told. You know, we blow the shofar. We still have worship. We're still bringing sacrifices. Where's your sacrifice? Where's your high priest? Where's your holy of holies? Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is our high priest. And because of him, we can enter into the holy of holies anywhere and anytime. There's the answer. Amen. Amen. Praise God for it. And that was the attack that was coming their way. We have a high priest, not like the old covenant. By the old covenant high priest, had to keep getting new ones because they died. Our high priest will never die. Amen? Amen? Risen and living Savior triumphed over sin and death. Their high priest, that could only go in one time a year, because of our high priest, we can come anywhere and any time all the time. Again, one who was at rest, seated at the right hand of the Father, with nonstop access, and the other who never could stop working and could only enter in one day a year. So Three blessings we have through the cross boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, no more barriers between us and the Lord, and a great high priest interceding on our behalf. Okay, five ways to respond to God's grace. Lord willing, we'll get to these. Look at verse 22. Let us, what does it say? Draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. With the perfect cleansing available to us, cleansing us both in the inner man, our hearts and the outer man, we can now draw near to God in a way that was never available to anyone under the old covenant. See, the work of Jesus makes us able to draw near in full assurance of faith. We can draw near to God. See, the problem... Of access to God has been settled. The problem of perfect high priest has been settled. The problem of moral and spiritual pollution has been settled. Now we have access, let us draw near. So now that the veil's been torn, what are you gonna do about it? You know, it's sad that the veil's been torn and then many people are just walking by. They never take the time to turn and spend time in his presence. They never take time to stop and put away everything else and enter in and spend time with the creator of the universe who longs to have fellowship with you. So tragic that the veil is torn and yet people ignore it. My favorite movie of all time is Ben-Hur. I love that movie. And when it's in a theater, I go see it. Even if I have to drive hundred miles, I love that movie. And you know that it's a story about Jesus, but he's always in the distance. You know, Ben Hur will be about something, and then they'll look up, and Jesus is teaching on a hillside, and a crowds coming to him, and he just kind of watches for a second, and then he walks away. And throughout the movie, he's doing that. And at the end of the movie, his, 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 uh, his mom and his sister both have leprosy, and Jesus dies on the cross, and the blood comes down off of his body and goes into this water that goes down to the leper colony and, and heals his mom and his sister, which is a picture of what blood does it washes away our sin. Amen. But I love it, but it also breaks my heart because here's Ben Hurry. So he's got all these things going on in his life and he'll stop and you'll see these moments in the movie, he'll stop. At one point, he even fell. If you remember, and Jesus gave him a cup of water. So there's all these little interactions with Jesus, but he never just stops whatever he's doing and sit at his feet. And guys, sometimes we we just need to stop what we're doing and sit at his feet. He'll never regret it. He's so worthy to be worshiped, to be praised, and to be honored. This is their real problem. They've lost their intimate relationship with Jesus and nothing else is going right. They want to return to the dead religion because they're afraid, because they're going through difficulty. The encouragement to draw near wouldn't have been given unless it was necessary. These discouraged Christians had a problem in drawing near. I had a grandmother I was really, really close to and uh, she lived to be 97 years old and she was the ultimate grandma in every way. And I would go visit her often. And she lived quite a ways away. And then I, had, I was supposed to go visit her one time. And then something happened. We got busy. We didn't go. And then the next day she went to heaven. And I was kind of heartbroken. Because I had promised her I'd come and I didn't make it. Now, she's forgiven me. She's in heaven. And it's okay. But you know what? That's what we do with the Lord. The Lord's right there. He wants us to enter into his presence. And we're just too busy just doing something else. That we miss out spending, on, spending time with him. There's a lot of people that used to go to church before COVID that don't go anymore. Because that became their new habit. They stopped spending time with the Lord, so now they just walked away from the Lord entirely. That is tragic. Amen. So tragic. They may have thought they had, you know, many problems, persecution, difficult relationships, hard times with the culture, but their real problem was their relationship with God wasn't on track. Here's here's the the love of money is the root of all evil. But distance from God will bring heartache to every aspect of your life. Amen? Amen. If you're close to the Lord, if God is with you, we can run through fire together. Amen? Yes. If you have faith, let's go. Let's get it. I told you, they might show up here. So a buddy of mine, there's a whole bunch of protesters coming to his church in two weeks. I said, when they're done, give them our, give them our address and come down here next week. Let's talk to them about Jesus. Amen? Guys, we don't have to be afraid. We have the truth. We have the King of Kings on our side. We're born again. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We have the promise of eternal life. Why in the world will we walk around in fear? Amen. Amen. And why in the world will we be so busy that we won't have time to spend in his presence? Draw near. Draw near. So how do we draw near? Notice what it says there about drawing near. It says there, draw near with a true heart. See, we don't draw near to God, God knows your motivation. Amen. Amen. God knows if you're praying because you want something. Oh, yeah, you know, well, I'm trying to open up for that promotion. I probably should pray. I'm in a church tomorrow. while. I'll probably go to church. A couple brownie points can't hurt for the promotion. God knows if you're coming with a sincere heart, or you have another motivation. By the way, I don't care why you come. I'm just glad you come. Amen. Amen. We had a guy, we had, we had these guys in Santa Cruz. Our church got really big. They would come because we had pretty girls at our church. We did. We had a lot of pretty girls at our church because they love Jesus. There's nothing more beautiful than that, I mean, than that. And what would happen is these guys would come and, I, you know, and they thought it was the, the saddle rack. It was Calvary Chapel, right? And they'd come in. you just see them during worship. <laughs> <laughs> and we'd put hooks in them. We had big ushers for a reason, right? And we'd say, bro, look. But then they say, well, were we kicked out? No, we're just glad you're here. Just sit down and listen. And you know what happened when they get saved? They stopped looking around. And they started looking up. Amen? Amen. Guys, draw near. How do we draw near? With a true heart, not acting, not hypocrisy. God sees right through it. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It says man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. See, and then it says they're in full assurance of faith of a desire for us to approach him. We have a full assurance of faith. He desires for us to come near to him. He wants to have intimate fellowship with you. Maybe you've had a dad that wasn't a great dad. I was blessed with an amazing dad and I'm thankful. But maybe you didn't have that. You've got a heavenly father who's perfect. And he wants to spend time with you. Amen? And you're as close to him as you want to be. It says, heart sprinkled from an evil conscience. Not arrogant to say we're forgiven. and full assurance that we've been forgiven. It's not arrogant to say you're forgiven. It's not arrogant to say you're going to heaven. You know what it is? It's faith in what the Lord already promised. I know that I'm going to heaven. I know. How do I know? Because God said so and I have a relationship with him. Amen? And we can have that assurance. We can have that faith. Our bodies washed with pure water, having been cleansed, having been sanctified, having been set apart, we draw near unto him and he will draw near unto you. So draw near. Number two, hold fast. Hold fast. Draw near and hold fast. Look what it says in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast to the Lord and his promises, not being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine or moved by every difficult circumstance, clinging to the Lord, not running from him. But here's the whole point of this verse. This is the real point of this verse. Hold fast to our confession with hope without wavering for he has promised. See, we waver because we think we've blown it. And then we think our relationship with God is based, or our salvation is based on us being good. When it's not based on our good works, it's based on his promise. Aren't you glad? Yes. So because he promised, because of that, we can walk in surety. We have the, the reality we can, we can not only draw near to him, but we can hold fast to him. I, said this, I say this a lot because, you know, the, in 2009, I spent about nine months in, in the hospital, in and out, from a bot surgery that made me septic. And I had 61 surgeries. And, and through that time, I had tro- we had trouble at home with my boys going sideways. There was a lot that went on during that time. And you know what? A lot of people said, did you ever ask God why? And the question is never why, it's what. What do you want to teach me and how are you going to use this? And did it be ever, were you ever thinking about running from the Lord? Why would I run from the Lord when I need him the most? Does that make any sense at all? Why would I be mad at God when I remember what he did for me on the cross of Calvary? Amen? Instead, I say, Lord, you know what you're doing. I trust you. I praise you. And God showed me in Job where right when he's sitting on the ash heap and his wife's telling him to curse God and die, shall I praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? And a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. If I ever write a book, that's gonna be the title. Because here's the reality, It's it's only when we go through trials and difficulties of life that we find out if we really have faith in God or if we only trust in God when our circumstances are perfect. Amen? Again, it's a faith that hasn't been tested. is a faith that cannot be trusted. It's a testing of our faith that molds us more to the image of our Savior. A renewed confidence in the greatness of God and the new covenant of his grace will make them stand strong in the faith no matter what's going on around us. See, people's faith has been tested this last year and it cannot be trusted. And again, I'm not saying there's certain people that are, that are older and they have afflictions and they know if they got it, it could, and they're using wisdom, and I get it. But I'm just saying there's so many people that are just scared to death. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Amen? And we should be just as much in love with Jesus the day we get diagnosed with stage 4 cancer as when we win the lottery, which you shouldn't be playing anyway, so you shouldn't win. Amen? (laughs) Because God's still on the throne. And God's still faithful. And we can trust him. Draw near. Hold fast. Now, notice what it says in verse 23. It says now... let let us hold fast. verse 24, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. We need to esteem others greater than ourselves. This is how we grow spiritually. Did Jesus esteem others greater than himself? Of course he did, even though he's God. Amen. He was willing to die for us. Amen. He, he was willing to do the father's will, even knew the torment that was coming. But as believers, if we were to impact the world, see our, our church in Santa Cruz got very large and people would say, why does your church grow? What is the program? Preach the word, love the people, make disciples and healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. Amen. See, when you fall in love with Jesus, you want to tell other people about him. When you're going to a place where you're being fed and you're worshiping the Lord and you have a relationship and a family, a church family, you want to invite other people to come. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so here's what happens is, you know, it's just consider one another. And I know I've used this analogy 150 times, but there's some new people, but here's the reality. I can, I can prove that all of you are self-centered just like me. <laughs> if I took a picture of the room, put it on the wall, after I developed it and you walked up, whose picture are you looking for First. Is that some truth or what? And you will think the picture's good if you look good. And it's bad if you look bad. Everybody else can look Rico Suave, perfect smile. You're looking goofy. We got to tear that down and get a retake. Because we're all about us, but we need to be about others. Remember, Jesus others yourself. It's hard to put yourself last. Anybody else say amen to that? Well, it's hard to put yourself last. We've got to die to self. Not about me. It's about him. It's about others. Let's consider one another. You know what? It's funny. I found this to be true. Those that serve the most complain the least and have the greatest joy. And those that serve the least complain about everything. You know, pastor, here's what we need at church. Here's what we need. <laughs> We need this, and this needs to happen. We need to change that. We need to fix this, and this needs to happen. You want to help with that? Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not supposed to help with that. You know, I, love how, I love how somebody's got all the answers for the problems that we have. By the way, let me just clue you in right now. People always have problems with worship. I don't care. If you have one guy up here with a banjo, people, some people love it. If we had a choir up here, some people love it, some people hate it. If it's too loud, it's too quiet, it's too this, it's too that, it's too... Look, if Jesus is being glorified, we ought to be thankful for it and praise God in it. Amen? amen? It's not about the style. Well, I don't like that style of music. Well, do you like the one that's being sung to? <laughs> then join the choir. Amen? But, but the people that serve the most, are involved the most, grow the most, and have the greatest amount of joy. And when we serve, it's a get to, not a have to. And I will never draft anybody to do anything because if I draft you, I have to sustain you. And if God calls you, he will sustain you. Amen. I never have to call Pastor Tim and say, are you guys ready for worship this Sunday? <laughs> I never have to call Pastor Joshua. You guys gonna be ready for youth group? Pastor Doug, you guys got... Uh, Ashley, how's women's ministry? Why? Because people who are called, they're doing it for the Lord and it's a get to, not a have to. Amen. amen and there's a joy that comes from it. But that happens when we consider one another. We don't make the focus on us, we make the focus on the Lord and ministering to other people. Last, last two, stay in fellowship with God's people. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching forsaking not the gathering yourselves together. Do you know there are some churches that are still just doing live stream and they think it's okay? My company, you, most of you guys know I've been the same company. 30, I sell advertising and they want us to do nothing but zoom meetings. And I haven't done a zoom meeting yet. I go see all my customers. I just go see them. i like, you don't have to, I want to. It's not the same, a picture on it, you know, right? We want, hey, I want, to, I want to, you know, hey, again, watching the fire on TV is not the same as having your hands over the fireplace, amen? amen? I want to be in the presence of Almighty God. I don't want to watch him from a distance. I want to get as close to the Lord as I can. By the way, if all you do is watch on TV, you're serving no one else but yourself. Amen. How do you minister to other people? Now, you could pray, that would be a great idea. But other than that, how do you minister to people? How do you use your gifts? people watching on live stream right now are clicking off like, <laughs> we love you. We're here. Come on back. Amen. 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 <laughs> I love Sundays. I love Thursdays. I love whenever I get to be with God's people. How about you? Amen. such a joy. It's a picture of what heaven will be like one day. Guys, when we get whipped up about what's going on in the world, we become angry, bitter, discouraged, and depressed. If we cut ourselves off from godly fellowship, it's only going to get worse. Church is where we come to get refueled to go back out into the world. Amen? Amen? It's a place where we come to be encouraged and strengthened so we can go back out and be enter our mission field as soon as we walk away from here. Last one, exhort one another. Gee, I wonder what that's like to get exhorted. You guys have any idea what that's like? Exhortation is what happens from this pulpit every Sunday. Exhorting to strengthen one another in the most holy faith. You know, many people go to church because they feel it at the time, but our motivation for fellowship must be to obey God and to give to others. So we come to church because God calls us to. We come to fellowship because it's where our family is. By the way, I hug everybody. If you come here more than once, you're getting hugged. Why? Because when families, when there's a family reunion, do you hug everybody? Yes. And I feel like every time we come to church, we're having a family reunion, amen? This is, you know, we have more, we're more than just... Friends. We're more than just people that go to the same church. We're family because we got the same dad. Amen. <laughs> We're all adopted into his family. We know the Lord and it's so important. But you know what? We need to speak into each other's lives. Let me close with this. Get busy serving God's people and being in fellowship with other believers. And here's what it does. It keeps us from false doctrine. You know what keeps you from false doctrine? Not just listening to some guy that showed up at your doorstep and not having anybody else to, to examine it with. Amen? We need to be in fellowship. You send one man poorly trained out into, a, out into the jungle, and there's, a, there's the beginning of a cult. See, we need to have people keep us from false doctrine. It builds us up in our most holy faith. Don't you leave here more encouraged than when you got here? Yes. Amen? Amen? Sometimes, maybe that's not always true, but if you come and spend time with God's people, it enriches us. It encourages us. It blesses us. It gives us a glimpse of what heaven will be like. It's amazing. It comforts us in times of great trials and difficulty. When you're going through tough times, isn't it good to get a hug from from your brother and sisters in Christ? Isn't it good to know people are praying for you and loving on you encouraging you? If you go sit at home, you're not getting that. You're going to be depressed. Using our gifts to minister to others. Allowing others to use their gifts to minister to us. The refuge in the midst of the daily spiritual battle. You need fellowship more than once a week. We desire the word of God more than our necessary food. And more and more as the day approaches. We get bombarded by the social media from the devil. And I I use it to promote messages and God can use it for his glory. And I originally got it so I could see pictures of my grandkids. But wait, if you go on, if you go on, you know, you, you just—it's a time waster. Am I the only one that's ever wasted time on Facebook? You're going through stuff. Oh, that was negative. Oh, that's making me mad. I'm going to respond to that. Oh, that's horrible. That's disgusting. Can't believe that's happening. Right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and it just like at the end of it, you're just discouraged. You're like, oh, what a nightmare. What? You got to world of my, A friend. You know what I mean, right? You know when that never happens? When you read this. Yeah. When you come and hang out with other believers and you love on each other and we minister to each other, there's refuge in the midst of spiritual battle when we come in fellowship. Don't know of one person having a great impact on a lost world for God's kingdom, wisdom, and fellowship. Mm-hmm. I don't know one. There might be, but I don't know one. I don't know anybody. I, you know, I have people tell me, well, I don't come to church because I've read the whole Bible, so. Dude, it's not Moby Dick. It's the Bible. <laughs> Amen. (laughs) By the way, we're about 85% through the New Testament, okay, from when we started. When we get to Revelation and we finish it, where are we going after that? Matthew chapter one. Why? Because it's the living, breathing word of God. Amen. Amen. There's chapters in the Bible I've taught 30 times and God teaches me something every time I teach it. Or every time I read it. Or every time I study it. Amen. Amen? Living and breathing. Stay in the word. Worship and serving in a local church is so important. Guys, we're not called to be lone rangers. Christianity is not for the lone ranger. God didn't save you, so you go sit up on a, on a mountain somewhere and contemplate your navel and chant. Amen? God saved you to use you for his kingdom and for his glory to make you a part of a body. And you know what? i, I tell you what. This, to me, every Sunday is just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. There's nothing better. Amen? So, don't pull back, press in, into the true source of rest, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, the three blessings, three of the many blessings from the cross, the boldness to enter into the Holy of Holies, no more barriers between us and God. We've got Jesus intercedes on our behalf. And five ways to respond to God's grace. Draw near, hold fast, consider one another, stay in fellowship with God's people, and exhort one another. Hey, matter of fact, if you know somebody that quit going to church because of COVID, and I I'm not talking about people go here, they go wherever, and they've stopped going. Love them enough to pick up the phone and encourage them to get back to church. Amen. I have people still call, I had a call this week. Yeah, I really miss you guys. Bro, solution to that problem. <laughs> get in your car and drive here. I know you got a car. If you don't, I'll pick you up. Well, I'm getting my, you know, I've got a pedicure that morning, so I can't come. <laughs> Bro, help. Amen. We need fellowship. Amen. Let's exhort and encourage one another. So now we're going to go to a time of communion. And Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And after today's chapter, we've been reminded repeatedly of the grace of God, of the mercy of God, of the love of God, that he paid the price once and for all. Our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. And so here at Calvary Chapel, first of all, the Lord's Supper is for believers, You need to be born again. And if you're not, we can fix that. Amen? But when you come to take communion, so here's what I want you to do, is they're going to pass out all the elements. And when they do, I just want you to hold on to them. And I want you to do three things while the worship team is leading us into worship before we take the elements together. The Bible tells us, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said that. So as as you're holding, remember the cross. Don't take it for granted. Remember what Jesus has done for you. But not only should we look back, but look within and examine your own heart before the Lord. This may need to be a time of confession for you. As you come humbly before God and say, Lord, you know what? Before I take this, forgive me. There's this area where I'm struggling. Forgive me. But not only do we look back and look within, we, always look, we also look forward. Because the Bible, Jesus told the disciples, next time I take this with you, I'll take it in heaven. You know, there's a day coming when we'll be taking communion with the Lord in heaven. So look back at the cross. Look within, examine your own heart, and look ahead to the time we'll be in heaven very soon. Lord, we pray if we go this time of communion that our focus will be only on you. We do this in remembrance of you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So hold on to the elements. Spend some time with the Lord. We'll take them together.